Hey everyone, please note that this was recorded before Dan Springer stepped down as the CEO of DocuSign. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Bloomberg Intelligence's Tech Disruptors podcast. Today we are very excited to have one of the true disruptors in the digital world, DocuSign. We have the CEO, Dan, and we have a lot of fun stuff to talk to him about today. So Dan, can you just give us a background of the company and yourself? and how DocuSign started the disruption process. And you know, where were you when we first started? What was the customer reception and how things changed? Sure, well, the ancient history, I don't know, well, well before my time, I've been CEO, this is my sixth year at DocuSign, but almost 20 years ago, a gentleman named Tom Gonzer founded DocuSign. And interestingly, I actually had a pretty good front row seat because we shared an investor. I ran a company called Responsus, at the time, a software company, a public software company, we later sold to Oracle. And so we shared an investor and I watched Tom and his company over the years. And I would say the first five, seven, eight, nine years were pretty tough. There wasn't sort of the concept of an adoption of the core e-signature product for today. And they had went through a couple of different business model renditions. And then in that sort of 2000, I'd say more like 10, 11 or so, e-signature started to catch on a little bit with the real estate industry. And realtors found that they had this very difficult concept of a signing ceremony where they had to bring people together to sign these real estate documents. Many times the people had to, you know, coordinate schedules, the buyer and the seller. Plus they just had some contentious negotiations and now they all had to sit in the room and sign these agreements. And then the last aspect, for those of you that have bought a home, particularly in the U.S., there's a lot of paperwork and there's a lot of forms that need to be signed. Most people don't want to read the forms. But when you're sitting there in person, you feel sort of obligated to look like you're thoughtful and pretend to read disclosures about, you know, gas tanks that might be buried underground. So, or asbestos. So it was a great opportunity for realtors to say, let's, let's just make this simple and use DocuSign. And then in the kind of, you know, I'd say maybe 2013 range, DocuSign started to catch on. And so that's really the early history of, inno of innovation. It was finding that core need, which was an industry that could really benefit by leveraging technology to have a better experience for their customers. So let's stick to 2013, 2014 for a second. And if I remember correctly, you know, those are the times when cloud was really booming, Salesforce was booming, Workday was doing so well. So why the lag in terms of something which you know, logically should be, you know, a gut instinct for any process manager. You know, what was the, what was the hang up? Why were companies not embracing it at that time? I think there's two core things. One is the same thing with all technologies, right? There's a change management aspect, right? To do things differently. And one, one of my, my favorite use cases is offer letters, right? So someone has to, I want to hire someone and you want to send them an offer letter. And, you know, the old model was people, even before, you know, computers were typing them on a typewriter, typing up office letters and then offer letters rather, and then became a computer and they're printing off their, their PC, the offer letters, and then mailing them to somebody. And then someone would get the offer letter and then they'd have to sign the offer letter and mail it back. And, you know, you think, well, well that ought to go away immediately, right? With the internet, why wouldn't you just, you know, do that electronically even before DocuSign? The answer is people just got used to it. And if you were one of those clerks that was sending out the offer letters, that was your job. So if someone came along and said, could technology replace that? They, they weren't necessarily wanting to do that. So that's kind of piece one. It's just a normal change management that happens. Second thing around signatures is a legality aspect. And a lot of times what happens is people say, well, wait a minute. Is that a real, can I do that electronically? Is that going to be enforceable? Is that legal? And what happens is a lot of times people say no. And they say, well, what do you mean? No, you can't do that. It's not, we, we don't do that. We don't accept that. It's not enforceable. Wouldn't, wouldn't be upheld in the court. And then you say to someone like, why do you say that? And the answer is, 
they, they don't, they just don't have a good reason. They just say that because, you know, they, they want to be careful and then they, they assume maybe that's the case. But one of the things that's very funny to know, there is an electronic signature act that was passed in Congress and signed by President Bill Clinton. So it's been around for a while. It's been legal for a long time. And yes, there are certain use cases where someone would say, yes, we don't accept electronic signature, but in the United States, particularly electronic signature has been around for a long time, but people tend to be afraid of change. And they're nervous that if, if you don't do it the old way, that there may be a problem with that. And so that receptivity isn't always there. So again, I'm, I'm still sticking around to the 2013 and the 2014, or, or uh, perhaps when you took over as the CEO. At that time, perhaps you could elaborate as to, you know, how would a product like this be sold in a company? You know, what would your sales organization look like? And I think everybody would probably know by now that you price on a per envelope basis, but perhaps you could even elaborate as that time, how you decided that, you know, you would do pricing this way or the mindset behind it. Well, so think about DocuSign. So DocuSign has an interesting phenomenon. We believe every company should use DocuSign. So we have a very broad view of the market. So from the smallest company to the largest, you know, for, smallest mom and pop company to the largest Fortune 500s. And they all do at this point. We do have 1.24 million customers that really, you know, cover that range. But the go-to-market has been split between a direct and a digital. And so the digital business, <clears throat> which is where you expect, is 15% of our revenue, but it's, but it's the vast, vast majority by 90% of our customers. You go to DocuSign.com and you, you sign up. You can pay with a credit card and you subscribe either a monthly or an annual plan. And you could be onboarded and sending your first contract for signature in you know, five minutes. That's fantastic for that, that easy, you know, simple applications. And, and, and we have different, you know, that, that's the basic uh, package. But then we also sell in a direct way to medium-sized companies and large companies where we go in and we do a much more of a needs assessment and understand how they can do change management and digital transformation across their business by leveraging our technologies. And we also have much more advanced packages that allow for more complex use cases that you might need. And then the pricing, it, it's actually, we don't sell on a per envelope basis, although it's similar. We sell on a subscription model, which is you buy capacity. So you buy up to a hundred envelopes, up to a thousand or up to a million, how many, how many you're going to use each year. And then if you use those and you, and you go above, we'll come back to you and say, Hey, you're overusing you need to increase your subscription level. So that's kind of how the model works. And in terms of the your core question around that 2013 timeframe, I think it's when it really started to take off a little bit. And what happened is, and it's kind of interesting how it developed, because of that success in the real estate world, people that worked in companies, that anyone that leased an apartment or bought a house, high chance that they'd come across DocuSign. Then when our salespeople showed up, because that brand was already effectively built in a very positive way, people said, yeah, why wouldn't I be able to use DocuSign in my business? It works great when I use it in a real estate capacity. And those two things kind of as a flywheel built off each other and really allowed it the allowed the business to grow. So again, going back to those time frame, was there any variable as to, you know, the more number of salespeople you hire, the faster you grow? Or it was it, I mean, DocuSign, even at that time, I would say is one of the more popular and the well-known brands that's out there. Or was it driven by, you know, either consumerization? It was very much a capacity model in terms of the direct selling. The consumer piece was what really played out for the digital business. And that was a very much sort of like buying Google AdWords, right? And having people see that and say, oh yeah, signature, that's something I need and showing up at the website. But on the, the direct business, which is common even for great technology products, they don't just sell themselves. And a lot of times, remember IPO Roadshow, people said, gosh, being a DocuSign salesperson must be the easiest job in the world. Everyone wants DocuSign. You just show up and... The, and, and while, of course, there's some benefits to having a strong brand and a great value proposition, uh, there's still some selling. And a lot of it is around awareness. And then a lot of it is explaining 
how that technology could be implemented in your business. So we definitely have what would be called a capacity model from that 2013 all the way through the pandemic, I would say. We thought basically the more reps we could onboard successfully and enable, the faster we could grow. And that was definitely the way the model was. So you have the salesperson and then you have an account executive or somebody who takes care of the account and starts to, to mine it more deeply? Or what's how, how's that structure? So we're very customer success oriented. So we have account execs who are the ones that we that do the selling. And actually we're split between Nuco. So that's someone that, that doesn't yet use DocuSign. There's people that just go talk to new companies. And then once you're a customer, and we do what's called a land and expand model. And right, so people show up usually very small start. They maybe do one or two use cases. And then our customer success team gets assigned or the CSM, an account type person there. And they're not salespeople. They don't have any commission payment. They, they just get paid to take care of customers. And we don't charge for that. We just, we're a SaaS software. We know that if we make you successful, you'll grow with us. So that's really our investment in our customers that comes back to us with growth. So the CSMs work with the customers to go through those change management issues we talked about and drive that success for the business. And then when they grow, they come back and there's an install account exec that can say, okay, I'll help you now expand. Now the install account exec, they're doing a good job. They're also out talking to the customer saying, hey, we're working with your human resource team here. How about your sales team? Wouldn't they want to use contracts, uh, leveraging DocuSign technology as well? And then it starts to build off that. And that's all, we can talk later about outside signature, but that's all the core signature business, which still is, is the key product that, you know, brought us to the dance. Oh, fair point. Let's now jump onto the pandemic where I think, you know, the world entirely changed and so did your business. So perhaps, you know, if you could take us through a bit of a timeline as to when did you start seeing the surge in, you know, client acquisition or volume? Or perhaps give us a little bit of that story in that one and a half, two year time frame when DocuSign just completely, you know, what was on, on rockets. Yeah. So in the beginning of March of 2000, we had our customer event. We always had a big annual customer event called Momentum. And then we had our field kickoff. We had them back to back and we canceled them first, first week of March because we got concerned about this COVID thing and we didn't quite understand what it was. I, by the way, will fully confess now I was a complete COVID denier, so much so that I made a pledge. Someone had asked me, I'm a big sweets eater. And someone had said, could you go a week without eating any dessert? And I said, I think I could, but I'm not sure. So I made that pledge and it happened to be the first week of COVID started. It's just total coincidence. It was at that setting up for that customer event we ended up canceling or turning into a virtual event. And I said, guys, I'm so convinced this COVID thing is not going to last. I'm going to give up sweets until COVID is over. That ended up being one of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life. I had to go through withdrawal of not having any desserts for two years. I did stick to it. So I would, I would tell you that I did not see it coming as having, uh, being a meaningful impact on the world, much less our business. And about, I'd say two weeks later, things did start to explode. And companies that were now shutting down their offices and telling employees to go home and, and primarily white collar roles initially, wasn't, factories weren't yet making those kinds of adjustments. They said, oh my gosh, how do I do sales contracts? Oh my gosh, how do I do my finance POs that I used to route around the office to have people sign? And now there's no one in the office. So they started calling us much more aggressively. A lot of times they were either customers or prospects that knew they were going to get there anyway. They were going to transform their business. Now they just needed to do it urgently. And over the next, really, I would say 20 months, we saw an incredibly heightened demand. We went from a 30 plus percent grower to a 50 slash 60 percent grower. And then we doubled the size of the business, you know, in about six quarters and over half of our employees had been employees that joined since the pandemic. So it was a complete transformation to our business, really every way imaginable. That's very fascinating. 
Now, let's talk a little bit about the competitive landscape. Perhaps, you know, again, going back to the history of the company, what it was at that time, then what was it when you became the CEO? And when you, you know, look outside today, who are your, you know, the primary competitors at this point? So we like to talk about the competition, and this is not just trite, but very true. Our competition is paper. Competition is paper and manual processes. And we take a look at the, if you take a look at the e-signature TAM, which we think is about 25 billion, and then the rest of it, we'll talk later about the agreement cloud is another maybe 20, 25 billion. The e-signature TAM, we think it's, you know, maybe 10% penetrated at this point. And we believe the vast, vast majority of all, you know, sort of competitive interactions we have is getting someone to move off a manual process onto DocuSign. There are other companies that are in the space. DocuSign is a pioneer. There was a company called EchoSign. And actually in the 2012, 2013, they're about the same size as DocuSign. And they got purchased by Adobe. And a few years back, Shantanu rebranded that Adobe Sign. And they are probably the second largest player in most markets behind DocuSign. But we are many times larger than that product. And then after that, they're much larger than the next player after that. They become pretty small. And most of those smaller e-signature companies have been purchased by other software companies and are just sort of part of, of something else now. So there's not really any other pure place. In, other, in certain markets other around the world, like if you go to France, there's a company, you go to Japan, there's you know, a signature company. Sometimes we're bigger, sometimes they're bigger, but you know, there's like, there are individuals, but they're just usually in one country or, or maybe like in the Nordics, it might be in a couple of countries. So it's a... It's, a, it's an attractive competitive, you know, uh, dynamic from that standpoint. You don't want to have no competition because then you, you won't push yourself to be great for your customers, but it's nice not to have a, a super, super, you know, strong company that's bigger than you with market share in the space. So how's the international market different than the U.S. market? What are some of the nuances? And as I was doing some background research on it, I mean, I was fairly confused as to how to even think about the, the international growth prospects of DocuSign. So a couple of things. One is our revenue. We just hit 25% of our revenue outside of the U.S. this quarter. You know, a few years ago, it was 18%. Very light. It should be, you know, for a company of our scale, you'd probably be at least want to be in the 30s, you know, if not up to 40% share outside of the U.S. Most software companies do start in the United States. And I think there's a couple of reasons behind it. The complexity you talked about are nuanced. First off, there's a concept of the legal structure. There's basically two core legal structures, common law and civil law. And I won't take you into a long history, but Commonwealth, common law goes pretty much to the Commonwealth countries. It used to be part of the UK Commonwealth. So that's the US, that's Canada, that's Australia, New Zealand, UK, you know, countries that you traditionally think about in, in the Commonwealth. And everybody else is civil law. <laughs> and so some of the biggest, most important markets, <clears throat> you know, are common law, but in number of countries, most are civil law. And it turns out the definition of identity and how you think about identifying someone to be able to enter into an agreement, you know, have a binding signature, if you will, is different in civil law. And it requires, in most of those countries, a higher level of authentication. So early on, DocuSign didn't play in those other markets. We went to Australia, we went to UK, because we just didn't have the technology built for what's sometimes called a digital signature or an advanced electronic signature. Sometimes called qualified electronic signature. But leaving, leaving the boring details out, think about it as a different way you identify people. And so we had to, we did a couple acquisitions early on, especially before my time. So I've been here my sixth year, one in Brazil, one in France, <clears throat> one in Israel to get some technology along those lines and really prepare ourselves to serve those civil law countries. So that's now done and, and effective. 
And we're now very comfortable. We're in 180 different countries through our digital business. And we have direct in, in many civil countries as well. But the other thing that happens is there's regulatory differences. Like in Europe, there's a thing called EADAS, and that's a regulatory framework around identity. And, and so there's, there's different components that are, that are just are different. Some countries require certain entities that like governments will say, we don't want to let you take the data out uh, of our country. So then you have to start thinking about your data center strategy and, uh, and, and how you, uh, you know, prepare for those types of things. So international markets should be a bigger and will be continue to take share and grow for us. So we're excited about that opportunity, but we were just late to start that game, which is why we're only at 25% today. The one thing that I've always wondered is, you know, when I first started looking at DocuSign a few years ago, I was truly amazed as to how many different software companies that you work with and how your product integrates well with, you know, whether it's Salesforce or Workday or anybody else that's out there. So the question I have is always, you know, I get to ponder over is about any company that would be considered, I guess, a little bit of a point product company is what if those companies decide to embed that particular feature or functionality within their core software, you know, I, what would happen and why haven't they done so? Well, so the history of Dogsend is one of the things that's fascinating about the place. When I first got involved, we were again a private company and I was looking at our investors and we had a quite unusual phenomenon where companies that you would normally think of as being competitive with each other and maybe not working well together were investors in DocuSign, customers of DocuSign and go-to-market partners of DocuSign. And that includes Salesforce, Microsoft, SAP, Google. I mean, just kind of went through like most of the large tech companies already had some sort of investment. Now, after we went public, <clears throat> Of course, most of them eventually, their venture arms sold, you know, those shares, but we still had those relationships. And we were oddly in this sort of Switzerland position. And at first, I, you know, to be honest, I thought it made me nervous somehow, like you said, I feel like we have a, like a significant part of our, of our whole ecosystem is these partners and they're all competitors. Like, is someone going to, you know, decide they want to opt out of that, you know, network and compete? But the more I thought about it, it's actually a pretty sustainable model because if you opt out and decide to go the other direction, you're effectively now going to fight against everybody else. And they have the leading partner in terms of DocuSign in that space. So if Salesforce decided that we want to make our own signature product, which I think they could, they would start to say, wait a minute, a lot of our joint customers with DocuSign, and they might say, should they use DocuSign and Microsoft's CRM tool? And right now, Salesforce got a strong leadership in, with their SFA tool, of course, but Dynamics, you know, such as trying to figure out a way to catch up. The last thing they'd want to do is say, well, God, we're pushing DocuSign to work harder with Microsoft and now against Salesforce because we have a competitive product. So it feels like people kind of want to play nice with us from that standpoint. And then to your first part of your question, we've also really done a nice job of integrating our software into their applications. So there you are at Salesforce using my example before. One, you've got thousands of customers that have integrated Salesforce with DocuSign. If you say you want to sort of switch, a lot of them are going to say, I don't want to switch. I always have this integration. And by the way, your brand new entry products, probably not Unlikely it's going to start off and have all the full features that DocuSign has. We already have a relationship with them. I think it would be difficult, you know, for them to do that. If someone got very strong as an independent company and then maybe was acquired by one of those players, I could, I could imagine they might make that bet at that point, but they'd probably have to have an open model and say, you know, we're going to, we're going to use both platforms, give customers choice. And then I, you know, I, I'd bet on DocuSign being able to over time with our investment, you know, advantage, our scale advantage to beat those other companies and, and build better software. You know, but when we look at part of our research processes to look at end markets and trying to figure out penetration rates 
And we, I think we have a good model when it comes to cloud. You know, we in current, I guess, the total market and where the penetration rates are by different verticals. The one thing I have not been able to get a handle around is how to think about digitization of workflows across different verticals. I've just not been able to find any data. Perhaps you could elaborate as to when you have done your own, you know, strategy research across different verticals, where are we in that cycle in terms of digitization of either, you know, state and local governments or financial services or real estate? Like who's most advanced and who's the most backward? And, and especially if you have any ways to put any numbers around it, would love to get your thoughts. It's a super interesting question. And again, we only have our, we only have one lens into it. So I wouldn't want to give you my perspective and, and try to more aggressively say, I think this is representative of the, you know, the broader world. I, I, you know, it's probably a reasonable data point. What we find our most successful customers tend to be customers that have a large number of consumers and they're in some sort of a regulated industry at some level of every industry has some level of regulation, some more than others. So we see in places like financial services, banking, insurance, a lot of adoption, healthcare, life sciences, a lot of adoption, and they really need to digitally transform their businesses and then also be able to kind of audit that, if you know what I mean. So part of the benefit sometimes of doing something like DocuSign is then you've got a great repository of all those agreements. You know, a lot of times in banking, you've seen they've had situations where consumers will complain that, you know, they were sold something, you know, by, by a representative of a, of a bank and it, it wasn't really fairly disclosed. And then it's like, well, there was a conversation that occurred. One of the nice things with doing that with something like DocuSign with an agreement, you can go back and say, here's the agreement. Here's how we sent it to them. Here's where they signed it. We can tell you where they were when they signed it, the time they signed it, you know, date stamp, time stamp, all those things. They understood what, what they got versus it was a phone call with someone. That's what the rep told me. You know, it's, it's a very challenging thing for the bank to sort of defend against their regulator when they're in that situation. So I say that's a, it's a great example. Regulated industries like those, we see technology is another one because people are naturally, you know, aware and open to it. And then you asked about government. It's interesting. There's a lot of investment in technology, as we know, in the public sector, but in different ways. I find that there's a lot of, I would argue, less effective in some ways, but bigger dollars in the federal government. I'm talking just for the U.S. for a second. Than there are in some of state and local. And I think state and local, we find for DocuSign are much more innovative in the way they use it. So when we think about, uh, I'll give you a great challenge during COVID, the federal government said, we got to get a bunch of money into people's hands in PPP loans. And you know what they did? They outsourced it. They said, well, we don't, we're not going to figure out how to distribute these. So they work with banks you know, and, and the banks then work sometimes themselves and sometimes through other intermediaries, but to get all those PPP loans, they all, they use DocuSign to get them signed, but we didn't do those contracts with the, the federal government, but we did them with financial institutions. You contrast that to social security type payments and welfare type payments. The state and local organizations that tend to make those kinds of payments as opposed to the federal government. And they did a fantastic job. They came to DocuSign and said, my state, state of New York is one of my favorite examples. State of New York only had one way that you could go and collect an unemployment benefit. You had to go into a physical place, go talk to a person there and, and make your claim. Well, now, those buildings were closed, <laughs> their workers were remote. <clears throat> How do they do that? And they came to DocuSign and keep in mind what also happened the beginning or a couple months into the, into the COVID, we hit this recession, they dramatically had to increase the number of people they had to get payments to. So they had this explosion of work to do and they couldn't use their core channel. So they on a dime, I mean, you know, for how we think about governments, I would say on a dime, State of New York pivoted their Department of Labor and got everything going in DocuSign and was able to deliver to literally millions of people in New York State 
those unemployment benefits. So I, I think it's a little different in each one, but I would say that in PubSec, the state and local tend to be more nimble and faster to adopt these technologies than federal. But th those are th give you some of the big verticals that I think are doing uh, a particularly uh, good job of driving the transformation. What about healthcare? You know, over the last one year, we, and again, I have been a big proponent of healthcare technology upgrades, I think since... George Bush signed that, you know, agreement back then. And, and uh, every time I feel excited about it, I am disappointed with what happens. But over the last 12 months, we have seen, you know, Oracle buying Cerner, Microsoft buying Nuance and the dollars yep. that, that are going to go into it. What's your take on how we can, you know, I guess, improve the healthcare IT yeah. landscape of, of the U.S.? Huge opportunity in the U.S. I'm with you. Unfortunately, I hate to I'm disappointed, but I have to agree with you way behind and we're not doing a good job. It feels to me the investments, and I think the two examples you just gave, the, the big HLS companies, as a separate between like the drug side and discovery of drugs versus delivery to, you know, consumers of healthcare. On the drug side, I think they're actually doing all right. We have a thing called CFR part 11, which is that's the, the drug discovery that the the FDA has that you have to go through the process, you have to get drugs discovered. And they leverage DocuSign technology. We actually built some custom, we're almost always a horizontal company. We built some vertical software just for that. So it will speed up sort of the process of, of patented drug discovery. And so I think they're actually thinking about the business pretty well. But on the consumer side, which is where the bulk you know, of this is, I think because of the HIPAA type regulations, I remember I told you regulations make people need to use technologies like this, like DocuSign for digital transformation, but it also can make things very cumbersome. And so every time someone makes like an innovative move and technology is going to make that experience better, it gets complicated by trying to have to fit within these rules. And some of them are really Byzantine. It's way, it goes way beyond just HIPAA. Well, HIPAA is a, is a source of a lot of it. So people's ability to deliver you, you know, in the healthcare industry, that leveraged, you know, technology leveraged services, I think are really a handicap by that, by that process. So we see some progress there, but that's a place where we're, we're, we're disappointed. We try to integrate with some of those platforms that, that people are using for healthcare delivery. That's also a super complicated phenomenon and this lack of this interoperability. So if you go to a hospital in Southern California, cause you're on vacation and you live in Northern California, even if they use the same software in that hospital, because of the privacy issues, there's no way to connect them. So you're a person they don't know. And now all that access to information, there you are, let's say you're in the emergency room and they want to know, well, what do we know about this person's health information? Are they allergic to certain you know, medications that we shouldn't give them? They can't figure it out because there's no way to go and source that information because they're trying to protect your privacy. So I think there's a huge opportunity there. But I don't think, I wish I could tell you we're closer than we are. I, I don't, I don't see that path in the very near term, but like a lot of these, you know, innovations in the short run, you know, we probably overestimate <laughs> how much is going to happen. But in the long run, I think we underestimate how much transformation we can drive. The next topic is something that I have always pondered over when I look at the DocuSign story, because I get a lot of calls saying that, listen, I, in my mind, everybody who needed DocuSign probably has one by now. And the way I have explained them to the, to, to the clients have been that, listen, they have a million odd customer. They have, you know, let's say over 150,000 enterprise customer, but only a handful. I mean, I think less than a thousand of them pay more than $300,000 to the, to the company. So for me, it's not about getting more customers into the, the, you know, portfolio. It's about how do you sell deeper into those customers? And a couple of things that really got me excited about some, some of the examples that you gave, you know, at conferences over the last six months is 
the number of use cases. So the question I've always figured out or I have always pondered in my head is, well, how many use cases or what kind? And in fact, the example that you give quite a bit is the M&T Bank, how it started with a very low and how yep. it expanded over time. Perhaps you could elaborate and say, you know, bulk of your customers, what are some of the basic use cases and how do your team works to expand that? And perhaps you could, you know, if you want to use some clients or, or without even naming them, if you want, as an example, would love to figure out what all those use cases are. Yeah. Well, so as a, first of all, I think your insight is spot on. If you go back, I do think there are two aspects to it. The new customer side, you know, we added 67,000 new customers last quarter and uh, 288,000 the prior year. So we had a lot of new customers every quarter, but most of them start very, very small. When you look at our dollar growth, the vast majority comes from what you just articulated. People land, maybe one or two use cases, and then they expand. And to give you a sense, you know, a good size DocuSign customer of breadth where they're using a bunch of use cases, they're probably at two, 300 use cases. If you try to add up all the use cases that any, you know, business might use, we think we're probably around 1500. Now, not every company could use all 1500 because some are more industry specific, but, but probably in that ballpark. Once again, once you get to 300 use cases, we're probably saying, you're in that zone. You're, you're, you're well deployed. But the number of our customers that have that many use cases is very, very small. You're, you're absolutely right about it. Even when you get to sort of like 50, 60 use cases, you're now getting to what we call like our good solid customers. So most of them are, are quite less penetrated. And what tends to happen is people start in one department. I used the example earlier of like human resources and offer letters and someone starts there and then they go, well, now that I'm doing these offer letters, what if I have to have all my salespeople attest that they, the, every quarter, that they, they didn't do side deals. That's something that some human resources might have to do. Or I want to send my employee handbook that I updated you know, every other year. And I want every employee to assert, you know, the donkey sign. I read the, and I will, you know, honor the, the handbook because if you have a problem later and they say, well, I never saw the handbook, then, then, you know, you can't, you can't enforce that they, they need to follow the rules. So that might be an example of a few HR use cases. And over time, they start to expand, you know, into, into more and more areas within HR. Then if we do our job well, someone says, what about finance? What about your PO process? What about, you know, your purchasing? What about your, and then we start going there. And then at some point we go through all those back office functions, legal, HR, you know, IT, and you can get, you can get to hundreds of use cases. And then the other big move is into the front office. By the way, you could start at the front office and then go to the back office. And that's the customer use cases. So that's, the, the, perhaps the, the, the best use case of all, it's the custom contracts when you sign up new customers and salespeople, many do leverage things like a Salesforce integration I talked about earlier. And they say, I can be in salesforce.com and then decide it's ready to send the contract. You can send the signature document right within the CRM tool. It's a bi-directional feed. It sends out the agreement. As soon as they sign it, it comes back into Salesforce and says, it's a closed one deal and you can start billing them, right? So, so those are kind of core things there. If you have new things you want to send, to your customers and you want them to, you know, like an, an agreement that they want to update. That's another, you know, great example. But so this is kind of like the marketing sales use cases that we call the front office. And what's interesting, there's more use cases in the back office, but the front office tend to have the highest volumes. And the reason is that we talked about, the, particularly for these industries we're talking about in banks, insurance companies, they have a certain number of employees, but they usually have a lot more customers. So T-Mobile is one of our largest customers. You can't sign up. You cannot become a T-Mobile customer without going through DocuSign. You go into their stores. They have us on tablets. You go to the e-commerce site. It goes through DocuSign. If you call the call center, it all comes through DocuSign. So those, that's a good example where, you know, those use cases, once you get into the front office, 
they can really grow in volume. So I, I know we're running out of time. I'm going to ask my last question and then perhaps any final words after that from you. You know, your investor, Dave, had a, did a very good job of explaining the agreement cloud and, and the vision behind it. You know, how, how long before you can think this becomes, you know, any material part of your company's revenue? Well, I would tell you it's, it's here today. And there's many companies, when you talked about things like some of the big banks, you know, but M&T, which is primarily a signature company. But if you look at the Wells Fargo's, the Amex of the world, they start with DocuSign and Signature. They get bigger on Signature, and then they move into broader products like CLM that are deepening that overall agreement cloud. And the agreement cloud includes Signature, right? Signature is the first, it's the entry point, but then these other products sort of build that out. So we're there in terms of people buy into that vision and are starting to buy into it. But the last word you use was you said, part of our revenue. And today, the e-signature revenue is over 90% of all of our revenue. And people say, well, God, I don't get it. These other products are exciting and they're growing and in some cases growing faster than signature. It's just signature so big and it's continuing to grow so fast itself. It's hard for the other ones to take share. And so I do think it will be, you know, probably a couple of years before we get to the place that you know, a notary product or, you know, a CLM or a CLM analytics, a CLM plus product, or even a CLM essentials gets to be, you know, big enough that you really say it's a meaningful component of our overall revenue. I think we're probably in that couple of years away from that. Fair point. Anything we haven't touched on, Dan, that, uh, you know, you talk to a lot of your clients about or investors about the DocuSign story that's uh, not well understood? Well, I think, you know, it's funny. I mean, the agreement cloud is probably the, the biggest piece. I spent a lot of time talking about how that, you know, builds off signature and expands. But, you know, I would say the whole piece of digital transformation is we're in the early innings. And I think that there's a lot of people, you made the comment that people say, oh, doesn't everyone have DocuSign already? People think, doesn't everyone already have technology? Don't they already have enough technology? And I think the answer is, like, there's a big, there's a big technology industry here in Silicon Valley, but I think it is still really early days. And I am shocked. I spoke at an event this morning here, actually in San Francisco, a G100 event with the leaders, early, early stage women leaders in, in the large Fortune 500 companies. And they were talking about their businesses. And it was amazing hearing them say, oh my gosh, I wish we could just get, we're talking about DocuSign, but I wish we could just get DocuSign into this part of our business. You know, these are like established companies with large IT organizations and great CIOs. And they've been, some have been DocuSign customers for five or 10 years. And they're saying, I just, we can't figure out how to get the technology working everywhere. And they always say, it's our change management problem. And it's, it's, it's that phenomenon. That's the big thing I would say is that we're still in the early innings. And it, and it doesn't mean we know what, how the innings are going to play out. It means that's what's kind of exciting about this thing, that it's, it's, it's many years ahead to figure this out. And there is going to be fantastic innovation and fantastic impact from that innovation uh, on people's companies. And don't get stuck into this sort of status quo of who the players are today. I think you're going to see a tremendous amount of change in the year to Oh, excellent. This has been a lot of fun, Dan. Thank you so much for coming. Thank everybody. you so much for having me.